You are listening to a White Phosphorus Pictures podcast. Broadcasting under the night sky from the edge of an undisclosed jungle on the Gulf of Mexico, I'm Christopher Garitano, your voice in the night. For the next hour, allow me to be your guide into the bizarre unknown, the fantastic macabre, and together we'll journey to that borderland between fiction and reality, a place beyond all rational explanation. We are now off to the witch. We've entered a new year, but this is quite unlike many that came before. It's the apex of a profound turning point in history, socially, politically, technologically, and for the land of the unexplained, things are only going to get more bizarre as we continue. Strange craft in the sky are being reported in abundance. Sightings of monsters that were once isolated to campfire tales, folklore, creature features, and sparse eyewitness reports now seem to be everywhere. Conspiracies that were tightly concealed are now the interest of the common citizen in pursuit of justice and the truth. Elaborate technologies that were always the stuff of science fiction are now very real. And the unique desire to expand the mind with tribal methods and psychedelics are now becoming therapeutic and commonplace. Tonight we celebrate an eclectic variety of all of the above, and I'll return after this commercial break. After these messages, we'll be right back. You are listening to the Off to the Witch podcast, where we explore that bizarre borderline between fiction and reality and all subjects arcane. Journey over to my YouTube channel and subscribe now at youtube.com slash at off to the witch for a variety of extras and special features, including the off to the witch mini docs with further insights on many of the latest episodes, as well as previews and behind the scenes of my forthcoming investigative series off to the witch presents, as well as the anniversary edition of my motion picture documentary Montauk Chronicles and follow us on social media. All links are available at linktree.com slash garitano7, G-A-R-E-T-A-N-O-7. And stay tuned for more Off to the Witch. The last mission encounters the unbelievable, an amazing story directed by Steven Spielberg. A magical midnight meeting turns monstrous. An amazing story directed by Robert Zemeckis. Two great stories, three great stars. Kevin Costner, Kiefer Sutherland, Christopher Lloyd. Amazing adventures, amazing stars, amazing stories. The movie, Monday at 8 on Channel 11.
Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and our first story is from the episode titled It Waits in the Darkness. Matt Emsch is a family man and a professional sportscaster, but he's kept a secret for his entire life, and not until recent times did he decide to share it with the world. This is a tale of adolescence and monsters, one that we're only familiar with from motion pictures and the pages of Stephen King novels. But Matt Emsch claims that his encounter, One Dark Night, was certainly not fiction. When we were staring at the fire and we were, as I said, captivated by it, just staring at it, we were not talking. There was, there was almost a, a, a complete silence around us. It was night and I, you know, you could hear off in the distance, the highway, you know, even though it was a half an hour walk to get there, you could still hear cars on the highway or beeping or just the sounds of the night, animals and, and things like that. It was silent. It was almost too quiet. And and we were staring at the fire and, and we were just, you know, just looking at it, listening to the popping of the of the wood, you know, being burned in the air bubbles in it, letting that telltale crackling noise happen. And all of a sudden, you know, and, and before I say this, you know, you always hear lately a lot of experiences when they talk about how everything on planet Earth has a frequency. Even rocks and trees and things like that. And sometimes the frequencies of us and the supernatural whatever fall under that same, you know, frequency level. And that's why we we find out about each other or seen or mix. And I think this was one of those occasions because of the silence and of what happens next. And we as we're staring, and as again, I said, captivated by the fire, we hear this pack of dogs coming and they were barking and running like crazy. And it sounded like they were on a mission. So we all, without even saying a word to each other, walked outside where when you would enter this building, there was kind of like a broken up concrete outcropping, if you will, where we would have to, you know, help ourselves, push ourselves up and roll ourselves up and then stand up and go in the building. So we went out and stood there and we were looking and we watched these dogs run by. And this was another rarity. They did not look at us. They did not care about us. They would always make a point if they saw us to to let us know that they didn't like us. They knew we were there. They just didn't care. And they made a quick left just as they ran right by us, still in front of this building we were in. And they ran over, which the next closest thing was the railroad track. And the railroad track was probably just five to six feet from the building. And they ran over this railroad track. And the next thing that they started running up was a pile of, in the steel making industry, if you've ever heard of Coke, and, and it's just some type of ingredient that they use in the steel making industry that will either cause the fire to burn hotter or it just helps it purify the steel. I'm not sure, but they had giant piles of this material 
15 to 20, 25 feet high, and from left to right, as far as the eye could see, it went. And they ran up one side of this and down the other side, and we could not see anything because it was nighttime. And within seconds, we started hearing that telltale sound of dogs fighting, attacking, biting. And we thought immediately that they were fighting with each other. We're like, whoa, what's going on here? Why would they be fighting with each other? And you could hear like the biting and almost like their heads, you know, snapping back and forth that they were tugging on something. But within seconds, we knew that it wasn't them. They were doing it to something else because now above their noise, we heard a very, very loud growl, uh, roar, unlike anything to this day I've ever heard or we ever heard. It was a combination of like a bear, a, a, a tiger, a lion, and a, and a wolf. It was like everything rolled into one, and it was so much louder. You almost felt the vibration of this roar, and you could tell that's what they were fighting with, and, and they were biting and fighting on it, and very quickly, you started hearing yelping, these dogs crying out in pain. Uh, and then what happened next is when Everything changed. Two dogs, one right in front of the other, came literally flying over the top of this pile of coke. And the first one is etched into my brain. I will never forget it. What I saw is it was its butt and tail were facing us, but it was overturned. So its back was facing the ground. And its head was away from us. And it was almost like these two dogs, the other one followed suit, but it was kind of sideways. Its head was facing us. It was almost as if somebody had grabbed them both and threw them with great force. And the first one hit the ground and you let, let out a yelp and it got up and it, it, it limped away the way that it came, which would have been to our left. And it's the way we would always come into this area. The next one hit the ground and immediately blood hit the ground. And again, we had light because it was a bright night. The moon was out, but we had light from this fire that was escaping the building and lighting up the area just in front of us and on this pile of this material. And we saw blood and we could see on its left side from its front shoulder all the way down its rib cage to its back hip. It was almost like it was flayed open, and it was a gruesome injury. And I'm I'm a huge animal lover. I'm a huge dog lover. We've had dogs forever. We have one now. We're down one, unfortunately. My my best friend Bieber, who was a 16 and a half year old cockapoo, we just had to say goodbye to him a few months ago, and. I miss him dearly. So we, we are big dog lovers. And I remember I immediately said, oh, my God, that poor dog. I hope it's going to be okay. And I doubt it was. I would assume, I feel bad to say that it probably died. And it limped away slowly and it was crying and leaving a blood trail. And within seconds, two more came over the pile and one of them hit the top of it. And this material just popped 
it went everywhere and they hit the ground and they got up and ran away and then the woods that were left came running over and they just took off on their own and they all went back to our left the way that they had come and then we were watching excuse me <clears throat> And my one friend who was to my left and behind us was the first to notice. And he kind of poked me in my back and he goes, guys, what, what is that? What is that? Well, look, look, we all turned our heads and what happened was a creature crawls to the top of this pile. The largest animal I have ever seen to date so big, and I always say this, so big it looked fake. It was a combination of a giant wolf and a tiger and a lion all in one. It was gigantic. And, and the only way I could compare the shape and the size of this animal was to the shape and size of a polar bear. And it was bigger than a polar bear. But what I what I mean by that is where you have like, say, a Kodiak grizzly bear, it's like a walking boulder. It's just boom, boom, boom. This was streamlined. It was very lengthy and long. And it had muscular just features everywhere. And the front arms are what what really grabbed us all immediately because it was turned sideways to us. And from the front, its head and its body was at an angle in the air higher than where the behind of it was. So its front arms were very long and it was looking in the direction, looking at these dogs and it definitely did not know we were there yet. And it was staring at them and I will always say this as well. Some might find this humorous. We did not. It lifted its leg and started to, to urinate. It did its business. And immediately we knew it was a male. Uh, you can tell just by looking it was a male. And it started to do its business. And it had a look on its face as it was staring. And it did this almost as if you can almost read its mind. Like it was saying, I let you go. I'm letting you live. I'm marking my territory, and if you come back, you will never leave again. That's like the thought I got. Did, did any of you uh, attempt to run? No. Okay. Did, no, we, did nobody we, even said, as soon as you started hearing the chaos, there was no instinct whatsoever to run? No, we were frozen. We just were frozen in place, standing there, wondering what was going on. And when it came out, we just stared. And, and when it started doing its business, it came out like a stream, like from a hose, Chris. It, it was literally like turning on a hose. And it hit this material and pieces started going everywhere just the force of it was just spraying these these pieces of this coke material everywhere and that's when i started getting deathly afraid because if this animal that we're looking at that we've never seen before in our lives is so big that i feel like now i'm starting to believe i'm dreaming that i'm gonna wake up at any moment that this thing looks fake it's like i'm looking at a movie but we didn't wake up. 
and it scared all of us as we spoke about it later. But the one that noticed it first, my buddy who was behind me to my left, fell backwards. Either he started to walk backwards to run into the building or what. And he tripped over himself and fell into this makeshift wall. And it made that telltale sign, that sound of of metal on concrete, heavy metal, and made a very loud and jarring scraping noise. And we all looked right at him. And I remember I looked at him as like, oh, no, oh, no. And we looked right back at this animal and it heard it and it looked right at us immediately. And my heart sunk. And the first thing that we saw that screamed out that this is also not normal and also that I believe supernatural, is the eyes. The eyes were so bright, glowing, as if there was a power source inside of this animal. It was like, a, like an amber, orangey yellow color. And it was literally glowing. It was, it was like somebody had put batteries inside of this creature and, and, and lights behind its eyes. And they were glowing very bright. It was not eye shine. There is no eye shine that could have been this bright. It was something else. And you could see the pupils and you could see where it was looking. And the eyes were so big that you could literally see the pupils moving and, and contracting and, and, and uh, focusing. And you could see which one of us it was looking at. And it looked at us down the line. And I was the third one it looked at. And when it looked at me, it looked at me in my face. And then it looked down and back up. And I truly got a feeling like it was looking inside of me, almost like it was looking at my soul. It felt like it, it, was, it was uncomfortable. It was penetrating, like it had bored into my body, looking into me. And then what it did next is when... All the walls of reality came crashing down. It's changed my life forever to this day. I will never forget this. What happened is it stood up on two legs and it wasn't trying to balance like a dog trying to get a treat or a bear even where it's abnormal. It just doesn't look like it's been. It was meant to stand on two legs. And they were shaped like a dog's leg, but huge, just gigantic. That telltale dog-shaped leg uh, shape. And it had a human-like form. But what I mean when I say human-like, there was no human being on this planet that has ever had a shape like this thing. Besides the eyes that were immediately drawing, drawing us to it, the arms are what grabbed me specifically right away. Not only were they just gigantically covered in muscle from end to end, what scared me horribly, and again, I got the fake sense, the, the, the idea I've got to start waking up, please let me wake up, as its arms were so abnormally long, it could have scratched its ankles standing straight up. They went beyond its knees. They were so long, it was, it was, it was just so freaky and ungodly. And it 
growled and roared at us. It bared its teeth. Its teeth glinted in the light. And it roared at us. And this roar, again, was a combination of a, a lion and a bear and a tiger and a wolf and something else. There was a frequency to it. There was, there was almost like, if you've ever seen crocodiles or alligators when they're in the water and they make their 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 growl or roar so to speak and water bounces off their backs there's kind of like a frequency like da -da 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 -da. that that's how it came out and you felt wind hit us it hit me with it and i felt a vibration go through me in my chest and it felt like my insides vibrated and immediately we all felt something physically and i believe it was infrasound i've done a lot of research since this happened and i know that big cats utilize infrasound to stun prey so that they will be discombobulated and they can be easier kill for them uh elephants utilize infrasound Whales utilize it to have their songs heard much farther for miles underground. You know, they talk about there might be some and some cryptids like Bigfoot and dogmen, like possibly an air sac in their throats or something that they can utilize to make these extra noises and this infrasound. And I believe it threw this at us as an attempt to discombobulate us. And what I felt immediately besides my body vibrating was my, my from my hips to my quadriceps and hamstrings down to my calves. They felt so weak that I almost went down on my knees and I was bent over, but I was still looking at it. My friend, my best friend to my right told me he felt the same way later. And then there are other two friends that were on the two ends. One was bent over and he was dry heaving. The other said, I'm going to pass out. And they were completely bent over and something was wrong. And then it took two steps towards us. Now, you have to understand, we were 15 to 20, 25 feet from this pile of this material. It was also, again, 15 to 20, 25 feet high. It took two steps, Chris, and it was halfway to us. And that freaked us out so bad that we clumsily started to make our way in the building. And the one that noticed it first turned and kind of was falling over on himself, getting into the building, and we followed suit. And the easiest way I can describe how we felt is, is when you have a nightmare and something is chasing you and you can't run and your legs feel like you're in tar or quicksand or cement. That's what it was like. We couldn't have run fast, but we were, again, clumsily making our way into the building. And we went immediately for the stairs, and we went up to the third floor. And I don't know why we went to the third floor. We've all asked each other, why did we go up to the third floor? We don't know. We just, we just did. And when we got up to the top, my friend that had noticed it first, and excused the, the use of, of poor, you know, vocabulary here he went postal 
And he started screaming, we have to get out of here. He was crying. What is it? What is it? We have to go. It's going to kill us. I want to go home. I want to go home. And we all got immediately horrified because he was so loud. We knew that he was going to bring this thing inside. So we start shushing him and yelling at him and using choice words. And I, at one point, had gone behind him. And, you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six foot four. I'm about 275 pounds. And, and I'm proud I'm not fat. I'm a big dude. And I was a big kid. And I grabbed him. And I didn't realize I grabbed him so hard when I put my hand around his mouth. I had literally lifted him off the ground. And his feet were dangling. And he was gasping for air, but he was still screaming with my hand cupped over his mouth. And we're all as quietly as possible yelling at him, be quiet, be qu shut up, shut up. And then he finally he starts, you could tell he's gasping for air. And I sat him down and we all say, well, I'll let you go. But you're going to be quiet. Please, it's going to come in here. And he nodded his head, yes. And as soon as I let go of his, his mouth, he gasped for air, and the building literally vibrated, a thump. And we felt it in our feet. We felt it go through the building. And then we had that telltale sign, if you have dogs or if you've heard dogs walk on wood floors or concrete, that sound of nails scraping, and you could tell it was coming in. And it was trying to pull itself up and it was scraping the nails. And finally, it you knew it was coming in. And we were frozen. And going back to you saying, did you get the sense to run? Now, this is the position we were in. We were on the third floor. If we went down the stairs, we would have met it immediately. Outside, right to our left, was a doorway that went out to the fire escape. The fire escape from the third floor down was broken away, rusted away, dilapidated from non-use, and was laying in a heap on the ground. The metal was all twisted up and sharp pieces sticking up in the air. And then the, the fire escape from the rest of the way on the third floor up to the top of the building was still there. You could have run up to the fourth floor where there was another set of stairs, maybe, I don't know, five or six steps, that took you to the roof. And if you look at the building on Google, the pictures I've been able to find, you can't see to the right of this building we were in. There was a flat area on the roof, and you could see the broken away fire escape if you could get a picture of it. Now, they've demolished these buildings since then because, there's, as I've said, there's new still making industry down there. There's three different businesses, I believe. I can't think of their names. But they've made way for, you know, needing that space. So they've demolished all these old steel mills. So I would have loved if it was still there to go back and get pictures and all of that. And um, also uh, from the first floor, you could see that each corner of the room, there were gigantic concrete pillars that obviously were for foundation. And they guaranteed went into the ground, however many feet, and they went up through the building all the way up to the ceiling. And they were probably four feet wide, four or five feet wide, and they went as high as the building went. So those were out and you could see all that. So we were stuck 
And the reason I mentioned those posts is they'll come into play. So we were stuck and we were frozen and we're standing at this half concrete wall, looking down at this makeshift wall where it started to come in and we started to see its head immediately. And as I said, there was a giant fire coming in as it was coming in the building. It was almost that sense of you have uh, a train when you have giant trains uh, you you get stuck at a train stop and, uh, you know, you wonder, my God, when is this train going to, to stop? It's so long. Um, that's that sense that we kind of got. And it just, it was like it was never ending, walking into the building so long, so big. And you could see everything because it was so gigantic and again, that sense of uh, this thing looks fake. It, it, it doesn't look real. It can't be real. We're going to wake up. Now, this was 1987, correct? Yes. Okay. So at that time, the popular movies in the theater ranged everything from The Lost Boys to Silver Bullet to Monster Squad to all of these very popular <laughs> horror films that portrayed similar creatures, monsters. Did Were you a fan of those movies at the time? And again, I'm, I, I ask everybody these questions because that was the culture at the time. You were a young guy and you must have loved horror films or maybe you didn't. I, I'm not sure. Oh, no, man, my friends, even to this day, you know, I, I have posts I'll put on about, uh, you know, every Friday we would always like to get together and watch horror films where but, you know, most people would watch horror films or kids and they would be scared during scary movies. We would laugh about it. We'd laugh hysterically. Like, I remember specifically one of our favorite movies was Return of the Living Dead. And, oh, all-time favorite. Yeah, just incredible movie. And, and Silver Bullet was amazing. And, okay. So at that time, and, and again, I we're of similar age, Um I was into all those movies at that very time when they were coming out in theaters. I was obsessed. Now, if I had experienced something like that, you could. it's safe to say that it was right out of a page of either Stephen King or the movie jumped into your reality. Was it, was it so intense at that moment that it was just fear that took over you? Or were you at all thinking to yourself, hey, I mean, this is like the movies that I, I watched. This is exactly happening. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm looking at a monster. Yes. Yeah, exactly. When we were outside and it stood up, you know, when I said the walls came crashing down, everything that we were ever taught, mythology, horror movies, the Fangoria magazine that was always so big during that time, uh, you know, The Howling and all those other movies where we're taught, don't worry, guys, don't worry. It's fake. It's not real. Don't, you know, it's scary. But to, that all came crashing down because what we were looking at, now, the, the name, the term dog man didn't exist back then. So the thought was, my God, we're looking at a werewolf. It's a werewolf. And yes, those thoughts keep. Uh, I don't believe to this day it was, Chris. I really believe it was supernatural. And there's other things that I'll tell you about that happened that makes me 100% believe it was supernatural. And I know everybody separates dogmen from werewolves because werewolves are, are supposed to come from form of man first. 
I believe that this thing is that way or was that way if it's still alive. It just it's that way 24-7. I don't think it changed from that unless it was able. I've heard some experiences uh, around in Michigan where you hear about the Beast of Bray Road where a young lady gave an interview where she was at a camp when she was a teenager and saw a, a dog man and the next night she bravely and maybe not so smart when looking in the area she saw it and when she got in that area she said there was a ball of light a red ball of light right in the area she saw this dog man and she started to follow this ball of light and stepped on a stick or, or leaves or something and it stopped and looked and turned around and faced her and she got the sense maybe that this might be that creature that is able to change into different forms or maybe that's its original form and it takes the form of things that are nightmare fuel for human beings and make us see it in whatever form to scare us to leave it alone. I don't know, but I, I truly believe it's super, it was supernatural. And the, my other three friends also agree because of some of the other things that I'm about okay, to tell yeah, you. Yeah, because that's looking back in hindsight at that very time. Like I said, it was a collection of all of the movies, all of the above. You you just said Fangoria Magazine. I think we had an extremely similar childhood. Um, Stephen King's It was a popular book back then. So, I mean, but I also understand the difference. Now, you, you can watch these films and obsess over them and love them. But when something... You don't want you don't want to live that existence, and even as a kid, you don't fully understand it. At, at the age of fourteen, that is also the transitional phase where uh, somewhat you used to believe that these things are very possible, and now it's going into some. You know, you're slowly inching towards adulthood, and you're slowly saying to yourself, "These things aren't possible." Now this happens. This happens right at that time. Oh, it must have blown your mind, man. Can you, before we go further in the story, can you describe the difference, the feeling that you're having when you're seeing this thing as real in front of you and seeing it in a motion picture or even imagining if it could be real or two or very different things when it's actually happening? If you could put it into words, what, what would you say? It was complete and utter disbelief. It, it was, it was that that realization that monsters are real the things that go bump in the night they're really there when you run up like we had an in our old house on on laura avenue i had mentioned to you in the basement we had those stairs that you know you could stick your hand in the stair and there was an area behind it that there could be someone or someone standing there so it was always kind of funny to hear who would come up the kids that would run up from the basement would fly up those basement stairs worrying something was under there that was going to grab them that is why Stephen King's stories, especially the ones that he wrote in the 80s, resonated so much with us is because it was our collective childhood. Yeah. Same fears, same interests. Um, he tapped into that. And I wonder, I know he's never admitted it publicly, if Stephen King had a similar experience to you or not. You know, I, I think he has. I agree with you. I don't see how someone like him who was such is such a master 
could not have had something in his life, maybe not as as eye-opening as what happened to us, um, but something, I agree with you, Chris, something had to happen to, to tap into that primal fear. And that's what I felt. It was a primal fear. I started to truly get the feeling creeping in at that point of, oh my God, we're, we're, we might die. I might die here. This thing might be killed. It's going to kill us. And again, it was it was this constant thought of this isn't real. I'm going to wake up. Please, God, let me wake up right now. It's 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 got to be fake. This can't be real. And every second, every millisecond that ticked by, it was oh my God, I'm awake. It's not fake. This is happening. And and it was just it was a a, a feeling of disbelief that what we're seeing is actually moving it's 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 real everything that we laugh about these horror movies when we watch them and we joke about it and you know i was a huge huge comic book fan and if you watch any of my new uh videos on my new channel channel planet 412 you'll see in the background i have some superhero stuff in there i grew up but just from i even have a picture of me really young laying on a a slide reading a comic book so all of this stuff was huge and to this day i'm a big comic book geek and love marvel and dc and i loved image comics so all of this you know has always been a big part of my life so I have all of this world of fantasy that I always dreamt about and, and played with my little brother and set up, you know, our toys, He-Man toys and G.I. Joe and Transformers and always dreamt of, man, it would be so cool if this stuff was real. Now something is real and it wasn't cool. It was horrifying. And the thought of death started to creep into my mind. And, uh, this thing, it comes in and the light of the fire hits it. And it, what happened immediately was, you know, when you walk in, in front of a fire, everyone, even a little child, your shadow is thrown and the shadow's huge. You know, even a little kid, your shadow gets thrown, it's big. Well, you imagine something so big, like the biggest shaped and similar form to a polar bear like because it's very streamlined muscular long-limbed uh not not compact boulder shape but so much bigger that the fire hits it in the shadow took over the entire wall it was just black and it's looking around the room and you can see every once in a while it sniffs the air its head goes up in the air and it sniffs and you can see the tips of the teeth the canines from the top and the bottom sticking out from its mouth especially when it would sniff the air its teeth would kind of curl a little bit so it was smelling and what you also noticed immediately was it was salivating and it was salivating so much that it had it was almost just like tons of of saliva was pouring drool was pouring out of its mouth huge big long strings were snapping and hitting the concrete and even over this huge fire we had that you could hear it crackling and burning and everything you could hear 
dripping of this saliva like if you're in an empty building when it's raining those noises you hear that that echo noise you could hear it over the fire and that's another reason why i started to believe i was i was starting to think oh my god we might not get out of here this thing is salivating for one of two reasons or both it's either hungry and it's getting ready to feed or it's getting ready to kill and then eventually eat. Because just like a human being, you see a big juicy steak or whatever you dig and you start salivating, that's the impression I got. And it's looking around the room and it actually turned its head towards that wall with that was all blacked out by its shadow where the stairs were in that area. And the eyes again were so bright it actually lit up a portion of the wall in that color. So again, no way it was eye shine. That was emanating from inside of this being. And then it walked right near the fire and I could see all the anatomy and what jumped out right away at first I thought was was a, a almost like reflection or from the fire it looked like it had a stripe going down its back. But then my friends told me, yes, oh, absolutely, it was a stripe. It was a white stripe that went from the base of its skull down its neck all the way down its back to its tail, and it was white, and that was the only other color. It was so black, Chris, that when it was outside and the, and the night behind it, and when it stood up, it was so black, it was almost like the black was so bright, it stood out with a black night sky behind it. It was like it was sucking light into it. It was so dark. And it's crawling around, and it had not paws on its front limbs. It had long, like I said, long, super exaggerated long arms that made it walk at an angle with its head higher than its rear and it had hands. And when I got a good look at them a couple times, they the closest thing I have ever been able to compare them to is raccoon hands. They look like gigantic raccoon hands. Now, I didn't notice claws. My other two buddies said they definitely saw huge claws. I heard them. I heard it as they clicked on the ground when it was walking, but I never saw it on its hands. I just noticed the strangeness, the high strangeness of its hands were just gigantic raccoon looking hands. They even had like, you know, it was like there was white and black on its hands. And when its front left arm hit the ground near the fire, this is when something supernatural happened again. If you've ever seen the movie Predator when it when it cloaks, that's what its front left arm did. And that's the only part of it it did it. And only for maybe three seconds at the most, it cloaked out. You could see the fire kind of going through it or reflecting on it. And what the fire did was so strange. If you've ever seen the sun, video of the sun and the magnetic storms that happen on the sun... You see ribbons like popping out from the sun and they make curls and different shapes and, 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 and just, you know, that, that, that look because of the magnetic uh, uh, forces going on there. That's what the fire did. It like almost wrapped around that cloaked arm and it happened just for just a couple seconds and it blinked back and you could see it was completely black again. Its hair was very short 
inch long, inch and a half at most. There was no bushiness anywhere. No, I've heard dogmen stories with when they say they had manes. It did not have a mane. Uh, its tail was not bushy. Its tail looked like an overgrown panther tail or a cougar or a mountain lion. It was just very almost muscular itself. It was very thick. And it, it moved around as it walked. It was real long. You could see the scapula on its back as it walked like a big tiger or, a, you know, a big cat. As it walks, this pop up, you know, back and forth, back and forth. But where with a big cat, it's just bony. It had muscle surrounding it. You could see muscle flexing and rippling on those scapula. You could see the individual muscles all at work. And it sniffed the air again and it snapped its head up and it looked directly at us and it bared its teeth all of them and they were so overgrown and so huge uh people have asked you know, and it stood up it stood up again i'm sorry back on two legs and people have said what's the closest thing that you've ever seen have you ever seen anything in tv and movies or books or i've seen some pictures online that look similar to it but the one movie i've seen that is the closest it's not exact because it looked more man-like in the movie was if you've seen Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman, when he turns into the black one at the end, I'm sorry about my nose, uh, it, it looked like similar to that. But as where in that movie, it's very human-shaped. It was not human shaped. It had a shape all into itself, and I've never seen anything to the to this day. And it stood up on two legs, and it bared its teeth, and it roared at us even louder than it did outside. And it threw its arms out to the sides, and that's when I saw the raccoon hands. It was almost like a comic book pose. It threw its arms out, and it roared, and the whole building vibrated. You could hear it echo through it, and it was looking up at us. And I always remember when it roared, and it turned its head up and looked at us. The only time I saw any type of hair or bushiness ever was when it was looking up at us. And on each side of its neck, at the base of its neck, which was huge and muscular, these tufts of hair popped out. And that they were shaped exactly like if you have playing cards and you see a spade, they were shaped exactly like the spade on a playing card. I don't know why it did. It was the only reason, the only time we ever saw it, we all agreed, when it looked up at us and its neck was bent back and it, its neck got wider from bending back, this spade-shaped hair showed itself. And it was strange. It stuck out to all of us. And my hand, one of my hands was on top of this half-concrete wall and I remember feeling the concrete vibrated and my one buddy even kind of covered his ears because it was so loud when it roared. But we didn't get sick this time. And I 100% believe and we all believe this is because we were on the third floor. It was looking up at us from the first. We believe that that half concrete wall took the brunt 
of that infrasound or whatever it threw at us the first time. And we hurt, it hurt our ears. It scared us horrifically. It was so loud and jarring. It put the fear of God in us, but none of us got sick again. And by that point, that feeling we had got outside had, had subsided. It went away and it bared its teeth and its teeth were just gigantic. And it, Almost had, it was almost like a sick kind of nightmarish smile when it was growling at us. And then it looked away from us and it looked to its right and it saw the stairs and it looked at the stairs and it looked back at us with this almost sick kind of smile. And then it looked back at the stairs again and back at us almost like to say, (laughs) I see you. And it went down on all fours and it jetted towards the stairs. And that right, that moment right there, Chris, is when I got the fear of God, I'm going to die. The following is from the episode titled Scream Queen. Tamara Glenn was discovered by a talent agent in a small Arkansas farming town. She quickly became the star of TV shows and movies in the 1980s. Her most prominent role was of the character Samantha Thomas in the 1989 motion picture Halloween 5, a sequel in a series of movies about a stalking serial killer named Michael Myers. What Tamara thought would only be isolated to the movie screen when the envious eyes of an obsessed fan couldn't separate fiction from reality. So it's very interesting. Um, this was, you know, six to eight years of multiple, there's over 80,000 messages from one fan. He had bought everything from me that you could possibly buy. Um, and I felt so sorry for him because he he portrayed himself to be disabled. He had health conditions and he could not drive. So he would say, Tamara, if I send you $20 or $40, can you go out and buy my mom something and ship it to Miami for me so I can honor my mom? So, you know, my mom passed February 4th, 2013, and I'm like, oh my God, it's amazing. Anyone that chooses to honor their moms, sure, and you're disabled, you have, you know, health conditions, and you can't drive, absolutely, I'm going to be there to support you. So what all of that turned out to be in retrospect was... And there are some things I can say, and there's a lot I cannot talk about because it's an ongoing investigation, but was I being catfished? Um, Is this person really who he said he was? Was he portraying himself to me as being disabled? Yes. Um, Where it was a freaking nightmare. Did he um, ever show up at a, at no, a convention? No, no. This, this okay. person was not a convention goer. You know, therefore, it is so hard to gauge. There's nobody. You are encapsulated in your own fucking brain. Like, no one has ever had contact with this freaking individual. No one has ever witnessed 
him, seen him, heard from him, nothing. He lives with his mother. He is not a child. He in his late 40s, early 50s. And yes. And what a freaking nightmare being nice um, turned into be. Um, so you, you had mentioned catfish. Was it ever confirmed that he actually lives with his mother or he's who he says he is? Like, you have you seen any evidence of that? Have they ever called you? Has he put his mother on the phone? That, um, that is still um, under investigation um, because, you know, um, the laws are so protective. And one thing that I will say about Governor DeSantis in Florida is that he does have you know, his harassment and cyberbullying laws are very, um, I mean, they're stern. And I believe all states um, should join forces. And because, I mean, my life was made a living hell. And you don't know who the other person is that they're conveying themselves to be, that they're representing themselves to be. When you're messaging me 50 to 100 times a day, and I'm begging you to back off, when I finally say, back the fuck off, leave me alone, and then I go in and I block, and then the barrage of emails come. I'm a bitch. Everything is because of me. Me, 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 me. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wow. Number one, if you know, we're not going to play this game in society any longer of you can come into my life. You can, you know, emotionally try and destroy me, but then you're over there and I push back and you claim victim bullshit game over. Sure. And it, and it seems that they are finding people who have attention and are worried about damaging their reputation by lashing out. But this is what's sad, is that now society is so compartmentalized. It's be a part, you know, claim this and go join this organization or claim this and go join that. And then where what is left for the people like me and the millions of us that are just like living our daily lives, trying to work, make a living, pay our bills. When does the harassment stop? When do the laws come so into place where they say, knock it off? Enough is enough. Because sure. I, I went through hell with this individual. I was so able to send, you know, all the detectives on this case you know, I did threaten a restraining order, like, in 2020. I did threaten. I'm like, you are sending me so many messages a day, I'm going to start charging you. I did. And, and the creepy part about this, Tamara, is that he's listening to this show on premiere night or whenever. He can hear you. Uh, because, because the obsession is so strong that he's watching your every move it's like that police song every breath you take people think it's a love song it's not it's no. about a stalker stalker no so so and i don't mean you know and again this is such a serious thing i've actually experienced this myself i'm not going to talk about details this is your story but i know how you feel and i'm trying to treat it sensitively and also get the get the details of the story now he did fixate on the fact that you played samantha in halloween five yes because didn't he refer to you of your character's name, correct? Yes, yes. It was 
Hey, Sammy. I love you. I want to kiss you. You're my BFF. And I want to tell you this. I want to state this in all honesty. I am all about the fans. Lord knows I am all about the fans. The promoters know. My agents know. My peers know. I'm all about the fans. But there does come a point in time where, you know, um, yeah. And I think, um, you know, what, what has happened in society with social media and everybody trying to get the attention grabbers, the attention, the likes is because where I currently live, I'm just going to give you a little snippet of my life. Um, I'm very private. Um, a lot of people, I don't tell them that I'm in, that I am who I am. I tell them I'm in advertising and marketing. Um, I do not project my career on anyone. Um, that's how I've had to tighten the reins. And that's for my own safety. That's for my own emotional well-being. But when you, what's sad about my situation, when you draw the line in the sand, for all these years, seven, eight years, and you go, stop doing this. Please stop. Okay, I'm going to send you a cease and desist. Okay, I'm going to get my attorney. Okay, I'm going to call the cops. Okay, I'm talking to Homeland Security. I'm talking to the FBI. I'm talking to this. I mean, when they keep coming at you, there is a fucking issue. There are those who say that this quiet town holds many secrets. Legend has it that beneath this very tower, a dark force had its eyes set on the children. We were told that what was going on there was for the benefit of humanity. What would you say to the people who say, well... All these children were kidnapped and murdered, and you were a part of it. What would you tell them? You I tell did them? approve of it, but there was nothing I could do about it. They wanted a large number of programmed boys to be used for mind control operations. And there are others who say it's still happening to this day. I don't know, I for myself find it a little suspicious that all the evidence has been conveniently destroyed. Let's put it this way. If you're sitting there with 20 guns pointed at you, what are you going to do? Whatever the hell they want! Watch Montauk Chronicles now for free on Tubi, Plex, Roku, and available for download on Amazon and Apple TV. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanations, but not necessarily the only ones, to the mysteries we will examine.
Mr. Paul Richard Price claims to have been recruited into top-secret government programs at a very young age. In the episode titled The Whistleblower Suicides, Paul discusses not only the warnings that were sent to him, but many of the stories that he's well-versed in, where things are not what they seem, and poor souls knew way too much. But before we get into Mark, I really want to get into uh, Carla Turner. Now, this is not a suicide. I want to make that clear. But the way she died segues perfectly into what we're talking about. Carla Turner is was a psychiatrist. And she was a professor at a college. And she was actually an experiencer where she was abducted by aliens. She started to question the abduction due to the fact that she saw military men along with the, quote, gray aliens. Which she was one of the first ones to coin the term my lab or military abductions, where they used implantable thoughts into people's heads. They threatened to kill her to keep her quiet. And she was a Christian. She believed that these entities were not necessarily from other planets. She believed that they were from other dimensions or even demonic in nature. And this is a trained psychologist. And she came down uh, near the end of her life with breast cancer. That was an extremely aggressive breast cancer that killed her. She was told that that somebody had uh, at a doctor's visit that she went to, where the, when they were doing tests, had given her um, those cancer cells that then later she uh, came down with cancer with. She died, and this was a good woman with a good heart. And she lost her first marriage. Her and her uh, first husband experienced alien abduction. Remember, it's a shock to the system because you want to believe in, in God, government, and apple pie and family. You want to believe in the good. You want to believe that you want to think that our government has our best interest at heart. When you get the evidence that they that it wasn't, that this may not be the case, then you have to fundamentally shift your paradigm structure and the way you think. In other words, you have to, uh, you have to do a paradigm shift. And that's difficult for people uh, to do or to grasp. What attracts what type of human being to be in power? And there are two types, usually. There are people that want to help, and then people that want power over others. And unfortunately, um, the latter is the one that's the majority, in my opinion. And then people get corrupted. You know, they get corrupted by taste of money and I who knows what goes on behind the scenes you know you you have these whistleblowers coming out and revealing truths and allegedly getting murdered for them um, and I believe that's happened quite a bit but you also have people who 
change or I guess like a litmus test, their true personality comes out when they're given a little power and a little bit of money, maybe because they never had it in life or they never, they don't have any inner strength. So, you know, they, they, they feel this is their way. This is their road to power. Um, I don't know because I'm not in politics and I never will be, but these stories are there for a reason. And I'm certain that they've happened throughout history. I mean, like, it's just, um, why do you think it is that people, why do you think it is that people are so afraid of opening their mind to the fact that there are all of these conspiracies happening? Remember, it's a shock to the system because you want to believe in, in God, government, and apple pie and family. You want to believe in the good. You want to believe that you want to think that our government has our best interest at heart. When you get the evidence that they that it wasn't that this may not be the case, then you have to fundamentally shift your paradigm structure and the way you think. In other words, you have, to, uh, you have to do a paradigm shift. And that's difficult for people uh, to do or to grasp. I mean, to believe that our government, our own government, murdered a president, suicided a, a famous actress, killed his brother a few years later, and a civil rights pioneer. And then later, to cover up other things that went on, including Iran-Contra, um, 9-11, and others, people died because of that. There was a British researcher who was a part of the British Ministry of Defense who questioned the reasons for us going uh, to Iraq and they found him dead. They never said what he died of, but they tried to imply that he died of a suicide when they found him in the middle of a uh, park in England. Now, these are things we got to look at. It's par for the course. In my story, when I tried to go public, with what I knew back in 1990, I was uh, told not to talk. That's number one. Number two, they sent a person into my home who moved in there under the under the invitation of my younger brother, who was who who is a uh, drug addict, and I was letting him stay there because he was he would have been homeless otherwise. And this guy. I found out later uh, his name, people should know, his name was Michael Aquino. He's now deceased. He died about a year and a half to two years ago. Nobody knows what he died of, but he died. They said he passed on. And there was, um, just a little bit of background on Michael Aquino, like there was a, a lot of controversy surrounding him. So what, what's his story? Well, he was a former psychological operations officer for the United Lieutenant Colonel Michael Aquino was a psychological operations officer for the United States 
uh, Army military, uh, Army intelligence. He wrote the co-wrote the book on psychological warfare operations. He also was a covert assassin working under the directive of the Office of the President of the United States. He also uh, transferred from Army Intelligence into the National Security Agency. One of the more noted things about Michael Aquino is that he was the co-founder of the Church of Satan with Anton LaVey. Later on, he left the Church of Satan spun it off to the Temple of Set. And he was with the Temple of Set until the day he died. Joe Stewart claims to have seen the elusive Bigfoot species when he was a young boy while hunting with his father. It has been his quest in life to find and prove the existence of what so many have claimed to be witnesses of all around the world and throughout history. In the episode In Search of Bigfoot, I speak frankly with Joe about his encounters, insights, and one of the world's greatest mysteries. What do you think they are? You know, just in your opinion, after all these years, what what do you think a Sasquatch is? Well, from all the research I've done um, in evolution and things of that nature, I'm coming to the conclusion, uh, you're aware of the Gigantopithecus blackie? Yeah, you know, I've read up on that. Of course, it existed, and and it was right. a long time ago. But yeah, yeah, it disappeared from the fossil record about three hundred thousand years ago, and it also is uh, tied to the orangutan. They are actually sister clades uh, in the evolutionary uh, tree. So, um, and and if you get some of the pictures that I have of it, uh, you know, I've got like pictures of the arm in front of cameras and that it looks so much like an orangutan. It isn't funny. So I'm thinking that it is the Gigantopithecus, but it didn't disappear that it actually evolved into what we have today. Sure. Do you think, and the thing that only makes sense to me, and of course I believe in it too. Uh, and I went out on a, a, a Bigfoot excursion with you and it was a great experience you know learning from you and going out there in the woods in the middle of nowhere um you know and i we even had a a bit of an encounter i'm happy to talk about that if you want to but i want to hear more about this but the the thing that i wanted to bring up is that uh, and i wanted to ask you your perspective on is that part part of me feels like for this to really make sense it is um it's of a higher intelligence than most animals in the forest. In other words, it's self-aware and it would most likely be aware of us and knows that it really doesn't want to go near us and probably hears, smells, and sees us coming or feels us coming through instinct from a a way distance. So in other words, it knows how to be elusive. Do you agree with that? A 100%. You hit the nail right on the head. It's just like with game cameras, you know, you've got them up and deer don't know what they are. The bears don't know what they are, but Sasquatch knows what they are. And they seem to be aware of that. I don't know if they understand the mechanisms as far as it taking a picture, what that means, but all they know is when those things are there and if there's pictures of them, people come. They probably associate it that way. Do you think they have a language, almost like, you know, where primitive humans did have a language? Do you think that it's something like that? Yeah, I have heard, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I've heard males talk, and uh, yeah, there sounds like there's actually, a la- there's a certain cadence to it. There's actually a language. 
uh, it's not, um, I mean, it's, if you heard it, I've got some that's buried in some of the recordings I got. I'll see if I can dig some of that up and break it off for you. But, I appreciate yeah, it. I, I do believe that they do have their own language. And they also appear to understand human language. And they say they can't talk it, but they can understand it. And the Indians that I've dealt with said that they can speak or can understand their dialect. Wow. And I address yeah. that in, in the book that I'm writing right now. How do how do the natives feel about the ones that you've consulted with? If you could tell me some stories about specifically some of those conversations. I mean, do they, whereas it seems like there's always every decade or so, there's always Bigfoot fever where people want to go out and really find it. Uh, and some of them kill it to get a sample. Um, you know, even who was it? Uh, Grover Krantz was saying that he had no problem with right. killing. Them. Yeah, because he uh, felt looked at it as an ape, yeah. Sure. How do you feel about all of the above? Um, I disagree with killing it. I mean, science is just going to have to figure out a different way to do it. Like maybe do some footwork, get out in the wilderness and hunt it down and, and you know, try to get a situation like I do where I can study it. Um, the Indians themselves, they usually don't like talking about it because they're afraid of it. They think of it like a spirit being that it walks in two worlds. It walks in our reality and it walks in another reality can kind of phase in and out of our realities. So by talking about it, they feel that it would visit them and they don't want that. So they do have a, a, a big respect for them and a, and a, a fear, fear of them. So in the um, native culture, it's normal to acknowledge that these things have been around for a very long time. Yes, the people I have talked to, yeah, absolutely. And they call them, uh, the, the Indians that I've dealt with up in, up in the north there, the Jibwas. Uh, the old Dawas, they call him the red man because of his red, you know, fur or hair, I should say, his red hair. Even though they do have different colors, but that seems to be a dominant color. You, and I'm sure you are aware of the, um, the Theodore Roosevelt story that was written in his memoirs, uh, The Wilderness Hunter and the Cowboy Land chapter about his encounter with a guy named Bauman during a buffalo hunt, Bauman had said to him, you know, it had confided in him in the story of um, his partner. They were trapping beaver, I think, and and his friend was killed. And Roosevelt writes this in his memoirs. Do you think that was a Sasquatch, whatever he encountered or whatever his, his friend that he, you know, told him this story, this very emotional story of a man getting murdered? By something. Do you think that was a, a Sasquatch? Well, um, I had not. I, I, I'm aware of the story. I have actually got the book and I haven't read it yet. So I haven't read it for myself. It sounded like a Sasquatch, but I don't, I never seen it act that way. I mean, any anything, if you corner it and threaten its life, it's going to defend itself. If that may have been the situation, but I don't know. I just, uh, I, I'm having a hard time believing in it what what that story said about it i i could have been I, I something else true. you know i mean i know that you've done your research on other things that are out there or could be out there that um are as elusive and and unique as the the idea of a sasquatch and again i i believe it i don't know why people see it as or some people see it as such a far-fetched thing to believe especially with all of the the vast array of 
bizarre creatures that we have samples of on this planet, all of our biological history of everything that existed, as you were saying earlier, Gigantopithecus, and, and it just doesn't make sense to me for someone to just dismiss it, especially with all the stories over the years and all of the witnesses. Um, but part of me is obviously conflicted about, you know, should we leave it alone and keep it a mystery? And then part of me, of course, you know, I'm so interested in hearing stories of what you find over the years. What was the first, I guess, most piece of, in terms of your journey, when you really set out, what was the striking artifact that you found that really confirmed this for you? Hmm. I would, the only thing that really stands out in my mind is when I had my first real encounter where I was in their habitat where there was actually active Sasquatch activity and all the things that took place we had discussed uh, about eight years ago. That is the one that sits on my mind the most. There was so much from that. I do have uh, thumbprints. Shows a totally different uh, dermal ridge uh, structure than what we have as humans and what apes have. Um, the the footprints. It was just so much evidence in in the interaction with them and throwing rocks at us and all that. That was just. And as I told you, uh, I was with an Odawa Indian at that time, and uh, we really didn't think we were going to live to see the morning because we were just pushing the envelope. We couldn't leave. We were kind of stuck there. And uh, we're way in the, in the, in that particular camp. It was, it was quite a ways into the swamp. So we had no way to get out of there. We, we just had to, I I guess what we did, we just took on the, I just told myself what we need to do is we just need to do not show aggression at all. Just be passive, be very passive, be very slow about your, your movements and that kind of stuff and see if we can get through the night. And we did. And uh, from that point on, we just started developing this relationship. So that's, that is where we kind of went beyond the, the physical evidence as far as footprints and stick structures and glyphs and that kind of thing. And we started this uh, relationship where they're learning from us and we're learning from them because they're very curious. Tasha Randall desires to not only expand her mind, but to travel deep into what she believes is a living, breathing reality in another dimension. Her gateway of passage is with the substance called dimethyltryptamine, otherwise known as DMT. What are the effects that it it's had on you? It hasn't like it's not it's not addictive, correct? Like you can't you can't overdose on it and you don't feel like an addict. No, 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 not at all. Um not at all. No. Um it's just I wanted to experiment with it because there's so much to learn from having a journey through DMT. One of the first things that you learn, <clears throat> which I had already learned before this, so that's what made me even more want to experience it, was that one of the first things that you learn is that you are not your body, that you exist outside of your body. That's one of the first things that you learn during a DMT trip. Um, because you're shown that you are more than your body. And, you know, if you if you smoke enough of it, you will literally leave your body. 
And that means you're astral traveling. We travel every night when we go to sleep. That's what we're doing in our dream state. We're traveling in our astral bodies. And, but your astral body feels no different than this body that you're in right now. This body feels very real and it is real, but it's not the whole of who we are. There's a huge part of us that is in the non-physical that stays in the non-physical forever. Just a piece of, of us comes into this into this body and is the force that makes this body work. So yeah, it's not it's not a um, it doesn't it doesn't feel addicting not at all. Believe me, <laughs> most people that do DMT are they're happy they did it, but they don't really have a whole lot of you know enthusiasm to do it again because it really is intense. You have to be a certain kind of person. You have to be completely comfortable with not being in control and going through a journey and allowing whatever journey that is wherever it takes you and being comfortable and, and knowing that you are safe with that. I've never heard of anyone dying of uh, doing DMT. Um, if someone works, I mean, the only thing I could think of is that if someone maybe has a heart problem, because initially when you first, you know, take in a few hits, because it's so intense, your heart rate does go up a little bit. Um, but I've never heard of anybody actually dying from it. Sure. And it would probably be reported in abundance that people are dropping dead from the stuff and no one's really heard of that. Um, and it, you know, and, and you mentioned Joe Rogan, he's somebody that's truly into health, uh, yet he does DMT. So it's, um, I mean, it's a paradox in a way, but at the same time, I think it's misunderstood. And that's why I, and another reason for this discussion today is to really talk about details of how it affects a human being short and long term. Um, and you've been doing it for a while. And so so you have to prepare yourself. You have to take it seriously. It's not a recreational drug. It's not like smoking a joint. And it's not this highly narcotic, uh, addictive, life-destructive thing like methamphetamine or crack or you know anything like that. Yeah heroin. It's not like that. Yet you do experience a body high, a state of euphoria, and it doesn't last very long either. It's profound enough in the in the 10 to 20 minutes maximum that it doesn't you don't have any hangover like if you had taken LSD. You you know, you're on it for you're on it for half a day. It's crazy. Um mm. Or mushrooms, you're on it for many hours, you know, and, and the next day you still feel kind of weird. In this case, you don't have any hangover from it? Zero. I mean, zip, zero. I mean, it's over and it's over. You don't feel like a come down. There's none of that, none of that at all. It's just 15 minutes, around 15 minutes. And you're literally, you're just in awe when you come back. You're just like, oh. Usually people have these just shocking looks on their faces and and most of the time they cannot even express to you what they just experienced. Like it's so intense and so difficult to put into words what they just experienced. And that's why I mean I'm able to do that. I'm able to to express it because I've done it so many times. You know, I wanted to really map it out and really explore it. And I still haven't gone I wouldn't say I've gone all like as far as I could possibly go with it. But the cool thing I was telling you was that the experience is different every time. I mean, sure, there's some things that are the same, you know, like the geometric patterns that you'll see. Now, here's another thing. 
when you do when you do it, are you going to do it with your eyes closed or with your eyes open? Because that also is a whole nother world too. Very different worlds with your eyes open or with your eyes closed. And in the beginning, I was doing it. So I'll just express, I'll just share with you my first experience ever doing it. Um, I, it was, see, it's, it's still very difficult to, it's an internal, intense, um, almost like you're seeing your multidimensional self. And then I was just getting like energy volts going through my body. And then I just remember my whole body almost like disappearing, like my whole body disappeared and I was just left with my consciousness. And then I was getting these energy volts like every minute or so. Like it felt good though, not bad, a good energy volts. And then at one point I opened my eyes and I saw like the matrix, like, you know, in the movie, like I saw these numbers going uh, vertical and horizontal right in front of me on the right side of my, my, vis- my vision. And so, you know, again, it's, it's just, there's so much involved with, I mean, there's so many things to experience other times, you know, there would be times where I would do it and I wouldn't experience anything at all. It was almost like I was getting immune to it or something. Um, and it would be the same, you know, you know, stuff in the same bowl the next day. And it would be so intense. Like, like what happened? <laughs> it was almost like spirit did something to it or, DMT that you know the consciousness of the DMT did something to it because nothing on my end was changed to it and all of a sudden it was like super intense. Are you able to walk around on it or is it a very stationary experience? Very stationary yeah you don't want to be standing while doing it you want to be in a very comfortable seat. So you're not compelled to get up and walk around the house like you would on mushrooms or or something else like that. It's not like that. No, not at all. But it, let's just say that you were out in nature. Say you decided that you wanted to be in nature, you know, doing DMT. It's really beautiful because everything is so alive. Like you see the aliveness in everything. Like it's really, really magical. Um, what I was going to say was um, another thing is, like I was telling you, you know, my experiences have changed so they changed so dramatically, you know, from one, one to the next, to the next, but I was meditating for, I would say a good 80% of the time that I was doing DMT, you know, daily, I had, it was like a ritual, you know, I would light some sage and um, play my singing bowls for a little while. And then I would set up a meditation. And after I would take a few good hits, I would play, you know, a specific meditation and then I would just close my eyes and just let the journey take me wherever it took me. And it was really different every single time. I mean, again, it was different every time, really. I met some aquatic beings uh, recently. Um, But see, you got to realize that my consciousness is very aware of many different galactic beings out there. And, And I've been aware of these beings for over 10 years now. So that's another part that, you know, whatever's in your consciousness, you're going to experience, you know, um, that's why it's so important what you put into your mind. People don't realize that television is not, you just want to be more careful with what you're, you know, feeding your brain. Of course. So let's say you, okay, so you have your eyes open, you prepare the DMT, 
you also get in a spiritual and meditative state as opposed to recreational. And I'm sure some people have experimented with DMT in with the wrong frame of mind in regard to it being a spiritual experience. I'm sure they tried music. I'm sure they were had movies on when they did it. What happens if, so you smoke it, you inhale it, and then what happens next? How do you feel? Let's say you're sitting on the couch or on the floor. What's the next thing that happens? Well, with your eyes closed or with your eyes open? Okay, so it's two different experiences. <laughs> Let's try first with your eyes <laughs> open. What is it like with your eyes open? Because you do blink, so your eyes are closing momentarily, of course. So yeah, if you if you do it with your eyes open, um, the room gets really like this yellow hue in a sense. Um, the colors, and now this all depends on how much you, how intense it is as well, but you'll start to see like quadruple patterns of the same thing. Like the TV, you know, will have, you know, several copies of itself, you know, right behind it. And you'll see a lot of colors, a lot of bright colors like super bright colors. Like a great example is a great artist. Um, I think his name's Alex Gray. He's a great DMT artist. And you'll see a lot of what he, he portrays in his art. Um, yeah, and again, it's just super, it just depends on how intensive a hit you've taken. Um, but it, so it can vary from, you know, uh, seeing you know everyone people's skin tend to look very orange to me too I don't know why but um yeah <laughs> but it's it's you know another time um I did it with a, a few friends of mine and at a friend's house and we literally just laughed the whole time like we couldn't stop laughing it was great it was really wonderful let's say you do a few hits right do you forget where you are? You know where you are. You can see everything just fine. And and if someone is there and the vibe is good, you can experience it with someone. You can enjoy it, you know? Sure, sure, yes. Uh, yes, you can enjoy it with, with someone. Um, it is it is more of an eternal experience, I would say. And again, that all again, you know, in the beginning I wouldn't say it was more I wouldn't say it was a more social thing, I would say it was more personal thing. But I guess maybe because I've done it so many times, I don't know, we just were laughing over and over and over again. But I can tell you the first time I had an actual breakthrough, which jarred me big time because, so my intent was to have a breakthrough. And um, I was like, goodbye. I said goodbye to a few friends that I was with at my place. And I was literally flying, I left my body and I was flying through this wormhole or, you know, uh, Stargate, I don't know, portal, whatever you want to call it. And in that moment, at, at that time, I had no memory of Tasha or this life in that short period of time. And I don't recall getting anywhere further than flying down this, this portal and knowing that I'm everything and everything is me and I'm everything. And then I was boom. I was back in this body and I opened my eyes and I'm like, I see the corners and, you know, the structure of the house I'm in and, oh, 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 okay. This is, oh, okay. I'm Tasha. I'm a human. Whoa. Like, holy crap. That was crazy. <laughs> and, like, and in wow. real time, how long do you think that departure was like, and you did a lot that night, correct? Well, it wasn't that I did a lot. I just, um, I hit it out of the bong. So you can get okay. a, a way bigger hit from it that way. Okay. Um, I would 
I would say I took two, maybe, maybe three really big hits. And I was gone maybe 10 minutes. Welcome back to Off to the Witch. I'm your host, Christopher Garitano, and I want to thank you for joining me tonight. We have quite a year ahead of us. It certainly isn't going to be mediocre, but I suppose somewhere deep inside, we desire to exist in an extraordinary era. For better or for worse, I look forward to sharing it with all of you. Until next time.